Listener Production. Shares, Market. the S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that, despite our best efforts, did not make this year's rich list. Well, at least that was a podcast. I'm not sure. I'm going to have to check carefully because I'm not entirely sure that Strawman has not propelled my co-host onto the AFR rich list. Andrew Page, g'day. <laughs> it hasn't. Um, are you are you but, sure? Have you have you che, are you hiding a light under a bushel here, sir? Mate, if this is all about making money, I've made a serious mistake. Let me, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> That's very disappointing to hear. Yeah. Um, we are not I, this podcast. Is not the rich. I checked. I'm not the rich list either, Matt. Which is not a surprise to me because I know how much I'm worth. <laughs> it's not as much as I'd like. Um, I'm a little surprised. Strawman didn't get you there, though. I, I would have thought. You know, if you had a business that was a um, a, uh, an online investment club that's, that's what right. it is yeah, if you have one yeah. of those if you have one of those um, <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't that be enough to get you on the rich list well you need to have uh, you need to have a suffix that starts with a B you know and that's uh, it's a pretty high bar T is too much is it is T well, like you know you gotta start, I'd start with an M <laughs> my friend like, <laughs> yeah, that's right. maybe even a T would be nice you know <laughs> yeah if I get a comma in my wealth that'd be, that'd be a good start <laughs> one comma please <laughs> any comma would be okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh mate the richness is out this week we are going to talk about that a little bit we've got a heap of stuff to talk about mate let's um let's kick off first I should say how's your week been yeah pretty good pretty good nice. yeah I do, a bit going on um, yeah, I was a bit, bit behind the scenes here. I mean, you and I have been speaking quite a bit this week as we, yeah, we record a few episodes. So I'm trying to think, well, not, not a lot since I last spoke to you. Yeah, exactly. Fancy talking to you again. And then we're going to not talk for four weeks. So, uh, we, it's, talk, about, talk about too much, then not enough. Feast and famine. Yeah. Or depends on which way you look at it. Maybe it's too much and not enough. Or just right. enough. Mate, uh, let's get on with it then. The, there's a very interesting macro story that continues to play out globally. And we're going to talk about a couple of parts of this, mate. Um, we're not... We don't want to over-focus on overseas stuff because it often doesn't impact us. But we are in a very global world. Um, money never sleeps, as the uh, the Wall Street uh, sequel was subtitled. Um, and capital tends to be pretty easily shifted across national borders. Just ask some of our multinationals who managed to pay no tax in Australia. That's a whole different mm-hmm. thing. Um, but, you know, economic circumstances do absolutely, uh, firstly, they impact global trade, but they also impact global confidence and global expectations. UK inflation was out this week. We're recording this on Thursday morning, the 25th of May. Uh, the good news, <laughs> and again, it's a strange world when this is, when 8.7% inflation is good news, you know we're through the looking glass. The good news is inflation in the UK fell from 101 8.7 the bad news is their core inflation went up from 6.2 to 6.8 percent uh now bankers and and statistics bureau have their ways of working out what core or trimmed mean or underlying or whatever numbers you want to use but the reality is whatever metric they are using or the combination of metrics their inflation the core inflation is still increasing and the market expected uk inflation to fall further now, we've talked a lot about inflation over the past, gee, 12 months probably now. It's been one of those uh, last years. This, to my mind, well, first, I guess my, I'll, make a, I'll make a, an observation and I'll get you to make an observation or reply mm-hmm. to mine, respond to mine. I am still, we've said this a lot, and I, but, I, but I really want to underscore it, mate, because there is so much rubbish in the popular media and, frankly, social media about the RBA. You know, people saying the RBA shouldn't bother, it shouldn't be doing what it's doing, all that kind of stuff. Now, you have a view on central banking generally, and I accept that, but... 
given where inflation is at the moment, given the experience in the UK, it strikes me this should be a very, very, very clear cautionary tale for us. That if the RBA does a lot, but not enough, then they end up falling, you know, the old, you can't cross a chasm in two jumps. If they don't make it to the other side here and actually properly fix inflation, we end up stuck with high rates and high inflation, which is kind of the UK problem. They didn't go hard enough. Inflation dropped and then spiked again. Now dropped a little bit, but core inflation is still going up. I can't escape the, the, the thought that they've just been way too dovish. And while our RBA was late to the party, um, it seems to me at least that they're finally catching up. By the way, RBNZ has been the standout here. They went hard and very hard early to really kill it off. And it seems like it's working there. Um, but I just, I, just wanted to, I just wanted to highlight it for our listeners because I think to whatever extent you are going to use monetary policy to influence the economy, uh, and again, we've ranted long and hard about why fiscal policy hasn't been used, and that's a whole different conversation. But it is just a, I think the UK is a cautionary tale, mate, of what can go wrong if you don't do enough in either fiscal and or monetary policy. Uh, they've got, they've got, they're in a world of hurt compared to where we are. Oh, it's just, it's really hard to wrap your head around the magnitude of that rate of inflation. Like just in what that actually means and extend that over a few years, just how much that, again, at this kind of rate in three years, you've lost a quarter right? of your purchasing power, a quarter. Yeah, yeah. For every dollar, you've now got 75 cents. It never comes back. And then if you're yeah. lucky, it'll only slow down in, in its mm-hmm. devaluation by 3 or 4% a year, you know? Right. So right. it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really big deal. Um, it's a generational loss of standard of living. Like I, I really want to, like I know I've probably said this before, Matt, but I really want to underscore this. We, we kind of think of inflation as a thing out there, you know? And I made the point before, I know you, you kind of pulled me up on a little bit, but we, there's a public perception that no one makes inflation happen. It just kind of happens, but we can blame the RBA for increasing rates and we can thank them for reducing rates, but inflation somehow is, is disembodied. And we kind of don't see it as this real thing. Rates are real, but inflation just happens. Because mm. that's the way a lot of people think about it. But the, like seriously, a generational loss of standard of living. If we have a 25% reduction in, or increase in, 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 in inflation, 25% reduction in purchasing power, yeah. effectively you can only buy three quarters as much as you did only a couple of years earlier. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're back in single car, black and white TV, early 1980s land, or maybe maybe not quite that far, but not, not miles off it in terms of what you can buy with, with every dollar. I mean, that's that's really, really significant. Yeah, it is. And I and it's... The really depressing thing is too is it it always it's the same story throughout history time again it's it's always the least capable to weather that that mm-hmm. storm that who suffer mm-hmm. the most yep you know poo rolls downhill uh, as as they say and so <laughs> you know when you're in these when, when periods yeah. of of high inflation generally bizarrely enough are, are good for asset values for hard asset mm. values property mm. and the like because. It, it's a, it, it might be going up notionally. Um, in inflation terms, mm. it might more or less be just, just real, maybe a kind of break even, or, or even if there is a decline, it's not as fast of a decline. Mm. So if you're relatively wealthy, yeah. and I'm not talking the rich list here, I'm just sort of mm. mean the sort of the top 40% or something, mm. you've probably, you're going to weather the storm a, a lot better than those that don't have assets because th- those that don't have assets, well, they're paycheck to paycheck, more or less, you know, maybe a bit of cash in yep. the bank, but that's not doing you any good. You don't, you don't have that natural sort of hedge that's there. So it's, it's always, it hurts, it hurts the, you know, the stereotypical, the, the, the teachers, the, yep. the nurses, all of this kind of stuff. And it's, yep. 
yeah, it's it's really depressing. And I, look, I I don't I don't I don't want to sort of say that there's an easy answer. And oh, what they need to do is this and this and that. <laughs> yeah. it's, All we need is yeah, exactly. I, it's such a difficult problem. It's such a difficult yeah. problem. So you and and this is there was a good article actually in the ABC. I think it was last week. Just really made the point. I know it it it, it um. It echoes my thoughts, so obviously I'm going to think it's, it's good. But it's, <laughs> it's this idea that mm. to fix this problem, what we're going to mm. do is we're going to raise interest rates, which is going mm. to um, induce a demand response, which is just a fancy yeah. way of saying we're just going to put more people out of work for the economy. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, well, you know, it, it, is all, it, it does, like by sort of definition, I suppose, there's just less, less money out there as people are working. But that, that, the impact there, again, is felt at the lower rungs there. So it, mm. Is, mm. it, is, it is really, really horrible thing. And um, I just despair, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> What's your take? What do you do about it? Oh, I mean, well, I, well, we've said lots. Um, fiscal policy is what you do about it, if, you, if you're fair thinking. You know, if, if, if we landed on planet Earth or we landed in Australia and someone says, so Scott and Andrew, uh, look, here's the thing. You guys can't be re-elected no matter what you do. You've got four years to fix the economy. You know chance of being re-elected. You've got no party to worry about. You've got no party loyalties. You don't want any favours. You don't know, you don't need a post-parliamentary career in lobbying or consulting you guys are here for four years and then you're gone, right? We're going to kill you at the end or whatever we're going to do to you. We're going to let you give you a million dollar bonus pension, whatever we're going to do. Uh, once you finish, you're done. And they said, what would you do to fix these circumstances? We all know, and I'm not going to rant too widely because I could go on for hours. Um, we all know that there are really significant problems that the politicians choose not to fix because they ideologically or electorally don't want to. And so that's, that's the bottom line, right? You know, what, mm. what do you do? Frankly, you meaningfully realign the tax code. You just do, right? And that's mm-hmm. not... Plenty of people now listening to this saying, no, don't take my tax cuts away or don't make me pay more tax or whatever. I get that I want to. That, that's, that's a whole different thing. <laughs> if you're saying, how do you fix this problem? You say, well, you know, we... I, I, I still will absolutely maintain... I know you just slightly disagree. I think, I think you do. I absolutely maintain that the central banks and the government did the right thing during COVID because we don't know the counterfactual as always. And at the time we had house price forecasts of falling 30%, which would have caused enormous economic damage. Some people say, well, I'd like a cheaper house, but you probably wouldn't have had a job to buy that house with because unemployment was forecast to go to 15% by treasury in the absence of anything else. This was a genuine once in a century pandemic compared to all the once in a century storms that happen every three years these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had, to, they had to do something and they did it fast and big and ugly. And it was wrong in a whole lot of areas, but they did what they thought they had to at the time because it was, it was a war footing. It just literally was. So I have, I have again, <laughs> there are things I would have done differently, things I should have done differently, but broadly, I find it hard to really significantly go at either the then government or the RBA for doing what they did. Mm. The challenge was that coming out of that, we didn't then do what we should have done. And other countries, by the way, I, th- I can't remember which one it is. I wish I could. Um, some countries had paid, oh, I'm going to get this wrong now. I want to say, I don't think it was COVID, I think it was a, a national disaster. It might have been World War II or something else. Uh, and one country had effectively paid back three quarters of the debt taken on to deal with the, the disaster, the crisis, before the crisis was even officially over. In other words, they got, the, they got the, the solution in place and they said, right, we put money on the national credit card. Now, I know the households aren't governments. I get all that stuff. Don't, don't at me. Um, but they already started paying it back. We should have had a COVID repayment levy on high incomes from the second half of 2021, mm-hmm. for example, right? The, these things that, that caused, we, we threw a whole lot of money everywhere because we had to. So then you say, right, battle stations, maxed out the credit card, bugger, 
tell you what, we're going to have to unfortunately cancel that holiday. We have to work a little bit harder. We're just going to have to pay that back and then get back on a reasonable footing. Then we can move forward again. And we didn't do that. We said, great, more surpluses, cheaper money. Let's just keep the thing rolling. There might be consequences. Who knows? Who cares? Worry about it then. Well, guess what? Now is then. <laughs> this is the then that we could have seen coming, should have seen coming, and did nothing to resolve. So honestly, mate, fiscal policy is the first one. Um, we should be, we should absolutely, here's, here's the real problem I'm going to say, and this is, this is the ugly truth in my mind, mate, to your question. If as an economy, if you believe, and I, I do, I don't know if you do entirely, if you believe that removing demand is the only, is, is, the, is the way you remove excess inflation, then firstly, you have to do that. Secondly, here's the ugly news. If you tax Gina twice as much, she doesn't spend any less money because she's not spending her wealth as it is, right? Or maybe she spends a little bit less money. The, the reality about if you want to stimulate the economy, who do you give it to? You give it to the lowest paid workers because they have the highest marginal propensity to spend. In other words, they will spend every cent of a dollar you give them because they're already on the breadline and they've got to buy clothes and heat the house and do all that kind of stuff. If you want to retard demand, what do you do? Honestly, you go at the same people. This is why it's ugly, right? This is the ugly it's truth. It's so ugly. I can't, get off, I can't get behind. I mean, just by the way, the way have, that you frame that Alan out Joyce's, there. Now, how have Alan Joyce's pay, mate? What does he do differently? He might buy that. He might not buy that house, but he's not giving up the caviar. He's not giving up the champagne. But isn't that an argument? Have Gina's wealth. He's not going to make any difference. Isn't, isn't this that is the problem? Isn't that an argument also for just like um, taxing them more? <laughs> but <laughs> if they're not going to notice? Yes, it is. Of course it is. Of course yeah. it is. But, it's not, but what my issue is not going to change demand more than a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction on the margins. But That's what, it's, ugly, it's, it's honestly the ugly truth. If you say, how do you slow demand? You would have to tax billionaires 90% before you stop their spending. I'm not Alan suggesting tax that. tax rate would have to be 80%. Yeah. No, no, but, yeah. no, but I, I, no, I know you're not. But my point is, this, that's why it's ugly, right? This is, this is literally the ugly truth. I don't want this to be true, right? I wish this wasn't true. If you want to slow demand, there is nothing you can do to Alan Joyce short of taxing him at 90%. Yep. That stops him spending on consumables, which is where demand is. He can swap assets; it makes no difference. Well, there's not he, enough. He, there's not yeah. enough Alan Joyce's for even that to make a difference. Even if you did tax him at ninety percent, so, so I, I, so I hear your point. No, I get, I get your point, but it's just the way it's framed. There is, you've said people who already can't afford the basics. Yes. Yeah. And again, we're, you're, you know. have to take one for the team here for society yeah. for quote unquote yeah. the economy. I don't. I don't buy Bec it. I don't. I don't well, buy sorry, it, sorry, and, and, and really I think, clear. and I think, I think it's just—it's also an assumption <laughs> yeah. that this is all demand-driven. In other words, the price of your bananas is going up because people are buying too many bananas. And I just like, yeah. I, I reject the premise. I, I, no, I think, I but it's not. It's not. That's it. Doesn't the the cause and the solution aren't the same thing? I agree with you. It's not the cause. It doesn't mean it's not the solution. So let me, let me go back for a second, half a second, we come back to this. So I want to make a point really clearly because mm. you, you kind of put words in my mouth. I just want to be really clear okay. for the record. Okay. I don't think we should slug the person on the breadline because they haven't got a mortgage anyway. But what I am saying is it's those people with mortgages, the next, the next rung up, if you like, on the economic ladder. I know you love property ladders, so let's go with the economic ladder as well. <laughs> um, it, it's those people, the next rung up on the, on the economic ladder that really do... Um, they, they, it's, why, it's why we use interest rates, mate, because those people... We can influence, it. ironically, we have lower a lower impact on the economy overall because those people have a higher marginal propensity to spend. Mm -hmm. And therefore, if we can remove that spending, it is the most effective way, efficient way nationally. It's not fair. Don't, again, we can go back to that. But that's why I said it's ugly, it's ugly and true at the same time, right? Those people have, if you tax Alan Joyce, it doesn't make a difference, right? If you, you can't take, you can't put rates up on people who aren't 
aren't paying a mortgage, so that doesn't help you either. And we shouldn't be putting tax up on people on low income, so you can't do that. So what do you do? You want to have the smallest impact nationally, economically. You want to be able to have that impact be efficient and effective so it happens quickly and with the smallest amount of pain. So that's what you do. And again, I, like, I'm not for a second saying it's even half fair. I'm just saying mathematically, that's how, that's how it nets out. You don't, it's just, you know, so to your point about, let me say that. Then you point out bananas, here's the thing. Are bananas going out because people are spending too much? No. But how else do you reduce demand other than reducing demand for bananas? You take money out of the economy until people buy fewer bananas and that over time for the whole economy drags down demand that puts downward pressure on prices. Again, it's just, it's just the maths of it. It doesn't have to be right. It doesn't have to be comfortable. You don't even have to like it. I just don't know any other, any other combination of arithmetic mathematical factors that gets us to the same result. I do. As, as I'll, give, I'll give you one. I'll give you one. There's the supply side of the equation, right? So I, I, I come back, I think mm -hmm. these conversations are always difficult because you have to sort of build up a foundation of shared yes, yes. facts and, and beliefs Correct. because Correct. It's, it gets very arbitrary and abstract. Very, very... You just accept my facts, mate. <laughs> <laughs> very quickly. I, no, it's important. You're right. You're I, right. Take, I take the view, look, money, the money that we've, we've got here is just a measuring stick, right? And it's yes. just a, it's a, it's a, a global coordination mechanism for society, yes. essentially. Yeah. And at the bottom, at the, by the end of the day, it, it translates hours worked into goods purchased. Absolutely, right? So, yep. Yep. so prices going up, this is maybe a bit controversial. It's not, not a bad mm -hmm. thing necessarily. It's actually a very important signaling mechanism for Adam Smith's invisible hand. I know I've yes. gone on about this before, but that, that's yep. what it does. Yep. So other people, was it Coffs Harbour? In fact, speaking of bananas, I think they had um, <laughs> big banana industry, right? And then- yep. Blueberries started to take off, mm -hmm. uh, and you get really good price. Remember, you might even remember, remember yep, yep. blueberries used to be a lot more expensive than they are today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so a few few people thought, well, wait a sec, I get a better margin, better return on this. Mm -hmm. So they started growing blueberries, and more people saw mm -hmm. that and got on it. And, and you play this record forward, and mm -hmm. the price of blueberries came down dramatically. Yes, yes, right. It's it, it, excellent, right? That that's what that's what sort of happens and that's what needs mm -hmm. to happen i'll go even further out into the to the wild and, and weird i would actually say if if and on a very very hard money kind of system you would mm. actually see prices in general trend lower over time because mm. we just get more and more productive each yes, each right. year we get better and better and better at making stuff with fewer inputs the, yep. the classic example is you and i can go out fishing we might catch a few fish and then the bloke next next to us, he uses a net and he's like, wow, he, he's working just as long as we are, but he's getting a lot more. And then all of a sudden a, a modern industrial trawler turns up, you know, and just <laughs> yeah, takes right. 18 tons of mackerel yeah. out of the, yeah. out of the, and, and it's, it's all, the, 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 all of that value in the fish and the thing yeah. that we, that we desire has been, has been delivered with much, much, much fewer input. And that example, mm -hmm. you can relate to so many different, different things. Oh, farm, farming is a, is a classic cotton, the old spinning genie, the first, indu first serious industrial yeah. action was by, was by sewers who didn't want this bloody, you know, spinning wheel board in, which would actually put them out of work and make their, make their jobs, not make their jobs easier, but mean there were going to be less of them. It's always been the case from, from literally the very beginning of the industrial revolution. And earlier, as you say, mate, nets yep. weren't industrial, but yeah, that, that thing gets played out just across the economy. Cars being made, it, it, automation. All the time. Uh, yep, 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 absolutely. Yep, you know, yep. And, and, and frankly, it's not to put too fine a point on it, it, it is exactly the reason for our wonderful standard of living. The poorest yeah. of the poor today lives better than King Henry VIII, you know? It's just, Correct. it's it's all of, it, it's, so it's so it's a really great thing. And, and mm -hmm. you, so you have to go back to, well, why are the prices rising mm -hmm. here? Mm -hmm. And I would say, 
at, at, at a zoomed out level, it's very mm. simple. You touched on it before. We just, we just pumped a bunch of cash into the economy, yeah. <laughs> right? And, and, and we had all kinds of wealth effects as properties spiked and yes. all of this kind. And we were just awash with yes. cash. And yes. we all went out and we all spent it. Now, I think it's part of I think there's partly the dislocation of shutting the economy down. Oh, that was, that, but they were, yes. they were rather, they actually, everyone, look, a lot of people said at the time, this is all transitory. And they were yes. right. Because yes. this is a multifactorial thing. But there is, there's inflation, quote unquote. You can measure that in a thousand different ways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, but it was going up because of uh, the excess money in the system and because of the supply shocks and because of probably 50 other things that we're not even thinking of. But, <laughs> exactly, that's right. But, but, but the supply side of things really, I mean, the container prices have, have come down. You know, uh, oil prices even to the oil extent price, yeah. have come down, yeah. you know. So, so all of that kind of stuff has, quote unquote, mm -hmm. normalized. But- but there is still a lot of excess sort of liquidity. I feel, and back to my original point, money is really just a measuring stick. Yeah. I think the money needs to remeasure. And it's, it's yeah. almost like, I, I think that if you stop tinkering, it will kind of sort it to where we, we, we will wear the, the cost of all of that inflation one way or the other, right? We have to sort of do it. And I would I just, it, I, I feel as though, while you're mathematically right and it will absolutely work, <laughs> yep. the, the, the approach is brutally, brutally mm -hmm. unfair. Yep. The, the people are already, are already wearing it because of the inflation. Yes. And now I'm going to yes. wear it right. doubly so. So you're gonna, you, I'm going to have to wear inflation and then I'm going to have to lose my job <laughs> for the economy. Or pay, or pay higher interest rates or both. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, exactly. And so I, yep. would, I would posit that, that, it, it, that we would just, as you say, it never comes back down again. Mm -hmm. It would yep. eventually, you know, economics, um, like a lot mm -hmm. of things, you, you, you reach equilibrium points and we, we go from there. We've just got to stop tinkering with it. You know, too much. I, I think the the story of yeah. central banking is yeah. always. I mean, one, it's an impossible task. So I don't I don't blame the central bankers too much because yeah, they're right, given exactly, yeah. they're given an impossible task. Yes. But yeah. but they're driving with by looking in the rear vision mirror. They off they they're, they're humans. They make mistakes all of the time. And and the problems that we we solve one problem only to sow the seeds of a new problem down the track. And that's really been the story since the dot-com boom. And in fact, going back further, 90s recession, it all, it's one damn thing after another, which, you know, sort of like only, I think I made the point in a, in a previous pod where mm -hmm. the reality, you want to talk about hard truths. The hard truth is that we all partied a little bit too hard. Maybe party's yes, not the right correct. word. And there's a reckoning that has to happen there. Yeah. And, right? that, and that was my point about taking money out sooner rather than letting it go. What they did was they did what they thought they had to do. I, I still disagree with you. I think the tinkering is worthwhile, but we'll probably never agree on that. What I think I agree with you is at some point you say, thank God we're through that. Now let's fix things rather than let's just let things drift. Because yeah. you know, how bad could it possibly be? The answer is 10.1% inflation in the UK and interest rate in Australia has gone from 0.1 to 3.85 in 12 months. Yeah, exactly. But, but, but you know, that it, it's the... <sighs> I know we've talked about this before too. It's sort of like if only we had really capable people in charge, <laughs> then it would work. And I was like, well, yep. you know, it, it's yep. it's it's not an you, you can go to either extreme there, but it's just like, well, that's yes. a pretty that's a pretty big sort of um, thing to rely on. <laughs> <laughs> it shouldn't be, but it kind of is given the state of politics. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So I I, I, I know yeah. it's it's a very radical kind of idea, but I would just sort of mm. say. We, do we need to tinker and do we need to do stuff as a society? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we do on, on the fiscal side of things. But mm -hmm. we do that with, a, with, with our, our elected representatives tied to 
to <laughs> the realities of yeah. of a of a yeah. sensible monetary system, not to a system where you guys get to create money at will and distribute yeah. it at will and rely on the blunt trauma of, of interest rates to do the hard job that you need to be doing in, in the first place. So borrow money, spend it, give support. Let's talk about taxation. Let's talk about all these, you know, government spending and let's talk about all this stuff. But that's how, if you're going to fix it, that's how you fix it. You don't fix it by a, a council of elders changing the price of money at whim on, you know, that, that to me is the really bizarre part. And I, I know it's a really um, non-conventional take, but the more I've thought about it, <laughs> God, I've been thinking about it a lot lately. I, I just, I, I feel as though it needs to be, I think it needs to be sort of, I've yet to see a really good argument for why that isn't the case, why we need to have uh, an ability to sort of create money at will and why we need to have a central authority that gets to tell everyone else how much that money costs. I, I would I would argue like free market's pretty good at a lot of things and, and one of them would be setting the price of money. <laughs> so why, I, I why do we centrally plan money prices, you know? Yeah. I, I think, I've said before, mate, I think you're right about the absolute, i.e. The, the actual price of money. I think, I think it's, I, I'd be, so let me, let me pose you a, what I think is a rhetorical question, but obviously few is not is do you really think had central banks during COVID done absolutely nothing, we would have avoided as much pain during COVID? Because my, my straight up argument is for everything you might be right theoretically, pragmatically, we would have seen far worse outcomes had interest rates not been reduced I agree. I agree. to allow for it. So, at, at, I'll square it does for that you. Not, yeah. yeah, please. Thank I'll square you. it for you. You're absolutely right. Um, if they had not done anything, it would have been worse. Yep. However, the thing that they were doing was to fix the other thing that they did before. And the other thing that they did before was drop interest rates to insanely low levels. And not, not just like over a short period, over you know, a decades-long structural decline in interest rates is the very thing that led to the problem. So, yeah, they had to fix it, but they created the damn was, thing. So there, I would was, say go back further. There was a virus at the time. But there was a virus that didn't... Oh, but these, these, are, these are forces that have been in, <laughs> in trend for, for, for a long, long time. And, and, and we, we were at a point when, when that hit that that's, that's, where the, that's where the settings were and that's where the reaction was. But again, it, 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 it's not something you can look at in, in, in isolation. If I start a fire and it yeah. spreads from one room to the other, I can still try and put it out <laughs> in one point, but it's still, you know, it's kind of... I shouldn't have just been doing anything there in the first place is, is, yep. is where, I, where I come down on it. And, okay, and but let's say they had done nothing. Let's say they'd never done anything. Let's say rates were already at their natural level going into February 2020. Yep. Do you really think that if, if rates had already been natural, a massive once-in-a-generation economic, social, and health crisis, we would have had no worse outcomes without a cheaper, a forced cheaper rate of money? Because I think that even if, if it, let's say let's say that they hadn't made problems over the last twenty years and rates were already three percent going in, rather than zero point or whatever they were half a percent of what they were going in, the action of reducing those rates was part of the solution. Without the action of from whatever the level they were, I agree with you. By the way, they were too cheap going into it. Whether whether we agree they should be left alone or centrally managed, they were centrally managed badly. Again, I think my, my, I've said this before. I think my take is they were so scared of another GFC that they kept rates too low for too long because they were just, whatever we can do to avoid a recession is what we're supposed to do. I, they, I, I agree with you, they created circumstances that, that made things worse, absolutely. Mm. But I would also posit that without a central authority with the ability to lower, pri lower the price of money during COVID, we would have had worse 
economic outcomes. Again, I come back to the fiscal argument. I, I would say, do we do nothing? No, we need to, we need to do something in an emergency. But we, we, the, the support doesn't have to come from an artificial lowering of the cost of, of, of money. It, it, but why it is that worse than the artificial lowering of taxation? Like, I, I, what I don't get is why the cost of money is sacrosanct, but taxation is not. Why yeah. ideologically is one able to be said, oh, we, we should use tax because that's, that's obviously something we should change. Money, that's obviously something we shouldn't change. I'm in the camp of you change both to whatever degree you need. I'm not sure why the price of money should be sacrosanct if the collection of taxation can be fiddled with. Why, why would we say the reverse? Tax should always be 10% and we should use the price of money to change the way the government's right. I think you can make both arguments with no obvious to me anyway, ideological framing for why one is absolutely right, the other is absolutely wrong. What well, am I missing? Yeah, because money money's the system in which, in which we, uh, as I said before, we, we measure mm. everything. It's actually really important what prices do and tell us and it's how mm. everything we... we we tinker with that. We tinker with the very communication system that we're all trying to use to, to globally coordinate our economic activities. That's exactly mm. what money does. It, it is why it is like, as I've said before, the fire or the wheel. It, it, yeah. we, without money, we'd be living in tribes of 500 people, right? We, just, yeah. we couldn't trust more than that many people. We wouldn't, know, we wouldn't be able to remember that many people. Money is what makes it all possible. So that is, okay. that is something that is, I feel, really important that we, we mm. don't tinker with. Now, once mm. we've got the money, which is out there acting as a medium of exchange, store of value, all of these, unit of account, all of these kinds of things, mm -hmm. then we as a, as a group, again, we're all living on the island. We all, there are, you know, we all go about our own business, but there are some things we sort of need to sort of work out at large. So we elect some central people that mm. look after that. And then we can decide, well, it's like, okay, we've got this much money here. What do we do with it? Um, oh, there's an emergency. Well, actually, we need to sort of help people who won't be able to eat. <laughs> All right, so, so let's spend some money on that. Maybe we need to borrow some money to make help that happen. Maybe we need to have some fiscal discipline and budgetary discipline. <laughs> you know, I, I think a lot of positive things flow from, from a system in which you can't tinker mm. with the money because money... Yeah, when when you when you tinker with that, everything starts to break down, and you also very preferentially treat some people uh, over others in a th I think very brutal and in an unfair way. Um, and mm. it's it's it, you know what I mean. So I'm not saying I'm not saying laissez-faire, let it let it let it do its its no, own no, thing. No. But I, but I, yeah. but I'm saying that's not the right yeah. thing to do. It's like if if um, I'm trying to think of a, a different example, you know. My, my computer's not working as well as it, as, mm -hmm. as it should. So rather than have a look at, at, at some of the code, I'm going to go in there and, and start rewiring the very base level chips of, of the machine. Sure. It's sure. like, well, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't have to go that far. And it's going to have, as we've seen like time yeah. and time again, unintended consequences and, and, and all the rest of it. And again, I, come, I, I really do sympathize with the view because as I've made the comparison before, like with communism, I mean, there's a lot of appealing sort of high-level thoughts yeah. there. There really yeah, are. Yeah. Just doesn't work, right? And and I, I feel as though it's the same with centrally centrally planned money. It, it, it has, it has, it it, <laughs> it it's a desirable idea if we've got really really smart people, really really ethical people, really really yeah. really capable yeah. people, really people people who are genuinely um, mm. and, and people who have access to really detailed immense levels of information through this wide complex web of, of thing we call the economy. So if all of those things happen, yes, okay, let's do it that way. But but we don't. 
And that's the, again, I don't, I can point to a million examples, even in the West and the developed countries where it's just like mistake after mistake, after mistake, after mistake. Oh, but now there's another emergency. Oh, okay. You guys come in here and fix it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even though you're a big part of the problem in the first place. Anyway, it's. Yeah. I just, I just, I, I think it comes from an ideological perspective, mate, that you have. And I'm not even saying it's wrong. I just think you started with obviously money is needs to be free and unfettered and we should use other other tools by the way uh, taxing people is is you know changing demand for employment it's changing demand for spending i just i really don't i don't think i'll ever get and that's completely okay i don't think i'll ever get the whole money must be freely asserted but tax can be changed rather than the other way around i, just, I don't have an ideological base that that's that really gets at a, at, a, at a visceral level, your argument about why, why not change the price of money? Because we can. You know, why, why regulate? Why regulate people? Just let the chemical companies do it. If people stop buying from the chemical companies, they'll stop polluting. I mean, at some point, you just say this. You know, there, there is there is a role for government involvement in the, the affairs of men. To use a horrible, cliched, sexist term. Um, I, I don't see why money is is the thing that we say. Except that. I, I just really don't. I, I hear what you're saying. I understand mm. that's your view, and I'm not. I'm not even necessarily saying you're wrong per se. I just I, when it comes from a position of obviously first principle says you shouldn't touch it. I'm just like, well, I, I just don't. I, I, your point you made a bit a few minutes ago, probably a lot of minutes ago now. Um, you know, we start with an agreed set of facts. We do, but then the ideology that lays over that is well, obviously for your view, money should be unfettered. In my view, it's well within the toolkit of government to say we can use that if we choose to. Now, is it being used well enough? Blah, blah, blah. Should fiscal policy be used more? We're 100% aligned on that. I just, I just don't, I don't get the, the ideological starting point. I just, I just, it's not part of my makeup to go, yeah, obviously you're right. We shouldn't touch money. We should touch the other things. I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, they're all, they're all, to your point, they're all man-made. It's, a, it's an arbitrary construct. There's no reason on that basis the arbitrary construct should be unfettered. Um, uh, yeah, I just I, and again, I'm not I'm not suggesting you're going to agree with me. Or I'm going to agree with you. It's just a fascinating conversation when you get to the crux of it. After, and that's why this conversation hopefully is useful for me and for you and for our listeners. Is yeah, they just you know hopefully two reasonably smart, reasonably informed blokes who've done a reasonable amount of thinking about this. At some point, it's just like, what's the role of X money, government, tax? You know those things, and, and our listeners will be thinking yeah, differently. First Listen, principles, absolute li- there'll be absolute libertarians out there who are just like government should be doing nothing other than what they absolutely have to do. Mm-hmm. Others out there saying, "Hey, Norway's pretty good. Let's have eighty percent taxes yeah. everywhere in between." And, and on every piece, that's why this is is fascinating. That's why the exchange of ideas is super useful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, um, can I? Can I, can I sh- let, let's let's uh, let's move on. Unless you really uh, got no, I just I don't, I don't know where to go with it because it is it, it, yeah. it, it, it you you get to a situation really just to put mm-hmm. a, put a pin in it where it's like there's a radical overhaul which is probably practically never going to happen at least yeah, at least not exactly. any anytime soon right. or yeah. we just try and work yeah, with what we've got but we do it better correct. and then correct. and that's a little bit despairing as well because it's just like yeah. gosh I don't know you look around the world it's just like <laughs> are the people the people in charge really really going to be doing the the best things they they've not covered themselves <laughs> in glory so far Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. This is partly going to uh, support your point in broad terms, not about money necessarily, but about uh, the supply response and other things. Um, do you have a, could you speculate what's happened to the oil price over the last 12 months? This is a question that knows it's not fair, but just for the fun of the audio podcast, can you, can you speculate where the oil price is relative to where it was 12 months ago? It's probably bang on where it was before, is it? Do you know what? 12 months ago, almost. So on the 30th of May, 2022, a barrel of crude, West Texas Intermediate for those keeping score at home, $117 a barrel. Uh. Now, 
$74.21. Way off. <laughs> and, I, no, and, and you should be right. So that's, and I, it, was, it was unfair to ask you, so my apologies, but. I thought it was a trick question, which is why I went with that answer. I thought, right, well, <laughs> so, and the reason I raised it, mate, is because when things, you know, this is, this is part of the story. We, when prices go up, when the oil price goes up, there's headlines everywhere. Petrol prices up, oil price up. It's all those horrible, and, and, and you know, they, it's not they shouldn't be headlines because it matters, right? It matters for all the reasons we've talked about before. Like the, <laughs> your favorite, the, your favorite phrase, the cost of living. Yeah. Um, you know, but 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 literally in this case, you know, the cost of filling a tank and and money's got to come from somewhere else to do that. It's a really big deal. But the headline writers don't say daily, "Hey, it's kind of just slowly drifting down." And there's no there's no big spike. There's no big deal. There's nothing really to write home about. Um, but I just I wanted to I wanted to mention it, mate. Just actually for exactly that reason is. A, you're right about the idea of um, price eventually in in some cases, uh, you know, the supply response or just the simple supply demand rebalancing finds its own level. Right. Um, but I, the other thing, by the way, so I, I followed up, I took a photo of it. I'm sure I'm, I'll show you. I can't show our listeners. Because um, I went to the pump the other day, $1.78 a litre for E10 unleaded. Now, again, no headlines, but it's $2.40, everyone's talking about it. It's fallen back from those levels and we kind of still go... We kind of accept it or don't really notice it or it's not remarkable or, or we all notice it individually but it's not really a big deal. I just wanted to make the point around sometimes the headlines and sometimes the things that we think are true, uh, but also too, why we are going to see some inflation come down to some degree by itself for exactly what you just talked about, which yeah, is right. with a combination, excuse me, of too much money, in this case for oil, probably more related to the Ukraine war and supply shocks where there were containers in the wrong place, as you said, mate, and oil tankers furloughed because, you know, yep. the price of oil, remember it went negative? Yes. Um, at one point during the worst of COVID, then it spiked. And that's, we, we have a, <laughs> this is gonna, I'll say a, a, um, a finely tuned economic engine. One of the real challenges with the way we've learned to run the economy globally is it, our entire economy works on a just-in-time just basis. You know, the Japanese had this just-in-time manufacturing thing in the 70s. And since the rest of the world's gone, that's cool, let's do it for everything. And there's no redundancy. There's no stockpile. There's no not just about oil. Everything, right? We just that's why we ran out of toilet paper. That's why we ran out of everything. Like just, there is no backup because we've just become so finely tuned to assuming that if everything works okay, we don't need any extra of this stuff. And when it doesn't, you go, oh now what do we do? Mm. So now there's not enough of it. So now the price goes up, and the price goes up. So we can't afford it. And all of, all of that. I think we'll go back to normal. We absolutely will, in my view, at some point, not too far away. Once the economy is kind of back on its two feet, and once the supply responses are sorted, and frankly, once rates have their impact, fairly or otherwise, um, you know, we'll find we'll find our level. I don't know what that level is, but we'll find we'll find a level at some point. Uh, and I just, I just want to I just want to flag that because it's one mm. of the things that doesn't get talked about. You won't see it in the headlines. You very you probably won't even see an article about it. I don't I haven't googled oil price articles, but they're probably not that many at the moment. Um, because those things tend to just capture the public imagination and they don't, we move on. Uh, but things improve as well. You know, prices do come back down. You've already mentioned that, that over time prices do tend to come down where they can. Well, slightly different because it's harder and harder to get to, but even that has still come down. Just, just, I don't know what goes next. I have no particular view. It's been lower in the last month. It's been higher in the last month. Um, but yeah, just, just, I just thought it was interesting to, to flag as part of a, a macro conversation where we, even we're guilty of talking about the headlines of the week. Sometimes we almost need to look for the things that aren't in the headlines and just see what else is happening out there. Yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, I was furiously trying to uh, Google search a, a chart for what's happened with average weekly prices. Um, and you're right. So oh, it's yeah. about 234. It's really, it's really come back a long way. It doesn't feel hmm. it, though. When you say that, I, yeah. Right, that's, but that, 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 that's exactly why I made the point because 
you don't notice it, you don't feel it, you don't, you know, when prices go up, you go, oh, that hurts, when prices go down, you kind of just accept it. It's, it's just, it's life, right? We, it's like with share price, the other way around. Share price goes up steadily, you don't notice it. When it falls 5%, all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. And you think, what's going on? What's going on? What do I need to know? Um, it, it's, it's just the reverse. It, it's because it's a higher cost, it's effectively a loss. The same as we think about share prices falling. Again, we don't necessarily note the share price that goes up slowly, steadily over time. When there's a 10%, 20% fall, we go, oh my God, everything's awful. Um, just another, another version of the same phenomenon, I think. Well, another wrinkle, of course, is uh, we have to exchange currencies to to buy this black gooey stuff. Um, and the Aussie dollar, I woke up this morning to find it's like it's 65.3 cents or something like that. So while the price of mm. petrol has been coming down, oh, sorry, yeah, the price of right. oil has been coming down in US yes, dollar yes. terms, yes, I suspect correct. for Australians it's, it's not... Yes. Well, almost by definition, it hasn't as much, Correct. <laughs> which is the other factor. No, that's, a, that's absolutely true. I, I, I probably find out you do USD chart and try and overlay them, but it gets a bit silly on a um, on a podcast. But that, I, I love the fact you raised that, mate, because that is something that we've talked about uh, the impact. So the dollar has gone from seventy one cents, actually about the same time. It's almost exactly thirtieth of May last year. I've got it here. Oh, come back. Uh, there we go. 70, well, Google Hang doesn't in exact sense because it rounds decimals, two decimal places, which is not very useful. Google, sort yourself out. But 72 cents uh, back in t- May 30, 2022. Now 65, as you say. So, uh, you know, the oil price has fallen by a third-ish. Uh, the dollar's off by 10%. So, yeah, the net, net, net of that is we don't get the same benefit here as we would if we were, if we were in the US or buying, if we're filling out our cars in US dollars, um, then we'd have a very different story. So it's um, even on a trade weighted basis. So that's when we mm. compare the dollar against a basket of currencies and we, mm-hmm. we give bigger weight to the currencies we, we trade with the most. It's really come back a lot. Um, it's actually the, we're back at levels that we saw uh, at the GFC, in fact, a little bit above, a little bit above, but, but not by much. Um, it's quite fascinating, actually. And it, it do you have a view on what's mm. sort of behind that? The fall in the dollar? Yeah. Uh, look, I'm, I'm <laughs> yes and no. Um, I don't do prediction. Here's the thing. You, you, know, you know, we've talked a lot of the last few weeks about things I used to think strongly and I'm, I've become more sanguine on. Mm-hmm. We've, we've joked and we've made, made the point in the podcast, you know, commentators, oh, the market was up because of this, the market was down because of that. We said, oh, how could you possibly know? There's all these companies, all these investors. And that's, that's true some of the time. The other part of the time, we actually do know why. Mm. things move you know when there's US debt ceiling and everyone's talking about it and it's you know and the share prices are down it's pretty likely that, you know is there, is there a causation proof no is it pretty likely there's correlation yes because when it gets resolved the price will go back up again because everyone will be relieved and we'll say who could know it's like well we can kind of know to some degree so with, with exchange rates we know a few things that generally there's a relationship over time so again I said generally and over time so I'm, I'm already um, I'm already hedging my bets here because it's true not because I'm trying to get away with it um it's usually a combination of economic growth and interest rates relative to other currencies that tend to influence the demand for a country's currency. So economic growth in the sense that if a country is going to do well, there is more demand for assets in that country because they're likely to be worth more in future. And the cost of money, literally the cost of money, if I can get 2% of my money in the US and 4% in Australia, I'm going to consider if I'm an American putting my money into Australia, or what do I have to do to that? I have to buy Australian dollars to make an Australian dollar-based investment that pushes the dollar up. If I sell my Australian dollars to invest in the US, the number goes down. 
So you ask you ask what's mm. happening. There's there's a few things that I think are happening right now. None of which I'm going to say are directly related or causally related necessarily, but the correlations tend to be there broadly. So a couple of things. Um, one is that the and the other thing is for Australia's currency. We're also seen by currency traders as a, what they call a commodity currency. Mm. And again, should it be true? No. Does it tend to be true over time? Kinda. If you like oil and iron and gold and coal, guess what? We've got a lot of it. If you're an American and you want exposure to higher prices in those commodities, you may do it with the commodities themselves or you might do it with the Australian dollar because, again, it should mean more earnings for Australia. It should mean more economic growth for Australia. So it becomes a a shortcut, a shortcut way to trade these things. So what's been happening? Uh, A few things. Uh, Commodity prices have been coming back down. We just talked about oil. Uh, Coal's come down. Iron ore's come down over time. The interest rates here in Australia are increasingly perceived to not be going up as much as they previously were during a, due to a weakening economy. Whether that's right or not, we'll find out, but that tends to be a generally accepted view amongst people who are supposed to know these things. And uh, interest rate, uh, sorry, and, and the economic growth is going to be a challenge. On top of that, last one to answer your question, it tends to also be the case, again, in general and average over time, et cetera, et cetera, that when the US markets freak out, they bring their money home, home to America. So they sell Australian dollars and buy US dollars, that pushes the Australian dollar down against the US. So when we see, uh, for example, during COVID, um, early, early outbreak of COVID, I say during, it's still going, the early outbreak of COVID, we saw a lot of people, even though the US economy was down, people t- selling their money and bring it home. Because if you're an American fund manager or an American currency trader or an American asset owner, pension fund, you probably get your money in US dollars just because you just tend to want to. It just feels safer. And so we do tend to find that market falls also coincide with currency, Australian dollar currency falls against the US because at those times, even though the US market's also falling, people tend to bring their money back to the US, the US being much a lot, much larger economy than Australia. A few of those people doing that and it really impacts the currency. So if you try, if you track or chart over time, movements in the stock market and movements in the currencies, it tends to be the case. The Aussie dollar is lower against the US at times when the stock markets are also lower. Just generally, just generally. How's that for an answer? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, so many threads to pull on. Um, Go for it, please. But, well, I've yeah, got a, a, a couple of uh, points. I mean, look, the RBA is like yeah. 3.85%, the Fed's at 5.25%, yep. right? Right, that's, yep. That's a pretty big interest rate differential. If you, if, particularly if you're American, because the American economy is bigger and the American capital markets are bigger, if you want to take advantage of that and you're already in America and you already want that higher amount, yeah. the, sheer, the sheer gravity of that is huge, absolutely huge. Can I? This is another reason why Please. it's so impossible for the, for the RBA <laughs> not to yeah. get back onto that conversation, but that people will make but. lightly the point that it's sort yeah. of like, regardless of what's happening here, you can't let, mm. you know, you can't let that spread get too, too wide mm. because it mm. will result in capital outflows. And that's going to hurt the dollar and that's going to hurt all of our imports. And we import most of the stuff we want. We, we, we're really good at like getting rid of um, yeah. rocks and raw materials and stuff. We're not really good at yep. building um, advanced equipment. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's a real, a real shame because we, we're, we're a country that has very abundant resources, but we also have a lot of mm. brains too. So it's a real shame we don't do more value add. Um, but yes, that, that is, that is, mm. that is, um, 
their hands are tied to some extent. And I think that's something to be mindful of. Another thing mm-hmm. I, I tend to think too, think, speaking of markets setting the price of money, well, actually that does happen to some degree uh, already. Bank funding, you know, the CBA gets a very significant portion of its funding from overseas markets. It's borrowing overseas markets yes. at those rates. Guess what? It's going to make a margin on that. So the only way that works is if they can charge a higher interest rate here at home. So it all it is all going to sort of feedback. And the dollar is one of these mechanisms that, well, the exchange rate is one of these mechanisms that will sort of you know adjust for all of this. My question for you is, you can't time these things, and I don't think it's. I mean, gosh, we talk about the difficulty of timing the market. Timing forex is like a whole nother level. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, you know. By the way, anyone, if ever you, you see a lot of ads for FX trading around, like avoid it like the plague. It's just, it's just mm-hmm. not something that that average investors or even sophisticated investors, to some degree, should <laughs> should be um, investing in. Mm-hmm. Um, is this a time where? you would consider selling some of your US-based ETFs, for example? Is that a time where you might be a little bit more restrained in buying some overseas assets? So we, we talk a lot, we get a lot of questions on the show about people buying exposure through these, these ASX-listed uh, uh, US-exposed ETFs. Yes. ETFs, yep. Now, you're getting a lot less bang for your buck today. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't mm-hmm. know how or when, but you know there is a very broad uh, range. You know The dollar doesn't get too much lower than this for too long too often and doesn't really tend to get much higher than 90 cents for too long too often. Now, I yeah. feel like I'm, I'm, I'm sort of making myself sound like a range trader, technical <laughs> analyst or something here. Yeah. Yeah. But if yeah. you're taking a very, very, very long-term view of things, yeah. it's not that you want to try and time it can, can mm-hmm. I just maybe say, well, the money that I'm saving this month, I might just focus a bit more on the Aussie side of things. Yeah. Or if I need a bit of cash and I'm looking at something to sell, maybe I'll favor my, my, my US assets. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I am, I'm going to absolutely agree with everything you said. Um, I'm not a tra- range trader. I'm not a trader at all. Mm. Currencies are different to, and finally, to speak of the value of money. Currencies are different to asset prices in a really, really important way. Because what a currency price is, is simply given every, every bit of economic opportunity output value in America and every, every component of that here in Australia, what is, the, what is the relative price of that if I wanted to exchange that currency? And the word relative is important because at, you know, the US dollar can't be ever worth in any real sense 100 Australian dollars. Nor can Australian dollar really be worth zero US cents, because that would mean that thing. You know, the, the the relative changes to those values just don't don't happen because the relative measure on absolute measure. Compare that to a business like Apple, that can go from a couple of million dollar company to a couple of trillion dollar company over time. They're genuinely creating more additional value. Share prices are simply measured very very differently than the relative nature of foreign exchange, and so. And the other thing, by the way, is because it's a because it's a um, because uh, it's a ratio, effectively, it's not a straight line ratio. When you go from one hundred cents to ninety nine cents, it's one percent. When you go from two cents to one cent, it's half of the value goes away. Mm. And so, if you can imagine a, a bell curve, well, there's probably is it a parabola. You, you're, you're the mathematician here, the biologist. Um, if you imagine that kind of curve, it's easier for things to move around around the center by smaller amounts. On the outside, not much at all because of the sheer amount. So it works like fractions, right? Mm-hmm. A quarter, four times, half, two times. You know, it's, it's just, it just moves out an eighth. You know, they, they move out slowly as you go further to the edge. Mm-hmm. 
So I... It's a logarithmic decay. Right, thank you. That's a better way to put it. So we, because that's true, it's likely that currencies will trade over time at or near an average exchange rate. Now, not forever, and I wouldn't bet on it 100 years' time betting on what it looks like. Assuming the relative but, economy structures are about the and same. That's kind of, and that's kind of why it will, right? So unless the US all of a sudden discovers uh, Andrew Tonium and all of a sudden the, the entire country is worth a, a billion times worth more you know, than it is now, or unless Australia manages to really, really, really screw ourselves up and become a banana republic, then we're going to be somewhere relatively, over time, close to average. So because of that, and so that, that's, the, that's a big setup, mate, to answer your question. Because I'm not a trader, I'm not a, definitely not a range trader, but it's also true that if you look at the historical movements of the currencies, the dollar tends to average somewhere around 80 cents US on average. Spends a lot of time above, a lot of time below. Might be a little bit lower now because it's been low for a while, maybe it's 77, 76, something, it'd be something like that. So if you know that, and by the way, because they, again, it's going it's to probably um, hover around and then go to either sides of that average but kind of cross back through them so imagine a, a, a sine wave type type thing that's not gonna be not gonna be perfect it's not gonna work in that that regularity but above then below then above then below or above for a long time then below for a long time but they're gonna kind of it's gonna trend around an average so the further the a currency is from that average because it's a ratio not not an absolute value like a share price it's reasonable to believe that at a dollar ten us it wasn't going to stay there forever and at 45 cents us it wasn't going to stay there forever and it hasn't over time and so my view to answer your question is the further it is from the average, the more I should account for or allow for it when making my investment decisions. When the dollar was ten, even Blind Freddy knew that wasn't a permanent change. So we should have been shoveling as much money, and I didn't do as much as I should have, but I did quite a lot, shoveling a lot of money into US dollar denominated assets because why wouldn't you? At 45 cents, I might have been persuaded to sell my Berkshire shares mm. because I'm getting two for one, it's not going to be that forever, you know, gift horse in the mouth stuff. Mm. When it's close to the average, I don't even bother thinking about it. Yeah. When it's close to the average, I say, well, what's my best investment idea? Is it Woolworths or Walmart? Is it Sol Pats or Berkshire? I own both of those, as everyone knows. Is it, pick your other example, Accent or Nike, right? Mm-hmm. What, you know, mm-hmm. whatever I'm... Mm-hmm. <coughs> and that doesn't need to be, by the way, same industry. I mean, she's known as, as examples because it makes sense. But, you know, what's my best idea? If I don't have to allow for currency, then I just pick from the entire smorgasbord of ideas. If I have, at 45 cents, sending money to the US, the company's got to effectively be basically twice as good as an investment idea. Yeah. At $1.10, I could invest in rubbish in the US because when the dollar, when the dollar goes from $1.10 as it was then to 65 now, I've, I've, just, I've got a massive, I almost doubled my money. Yeah. So you know, I, did, I, could have had, I could have had a loss-making US dollar asset at that point and still come out ahead. Uh, because I, you know, sold it. If I sold it now, bought the money back. I sent over two dollars. It was four dollars. So it was, you know, I sent over two dollars when it got there at two dollars or, you know, whatever it was, two dollars twenty. I bought something that fell to a dollar eighty. Bought it back now worth three dollars sixty. Hey, I'm still ahead. Mm. So you know, in those in those scenarios, you, I, I think you're mad not to. Um, right now, mate, I wouldn't be personally. I wouldn't be investing new money in U.S. dollar assets um, if I had a strange. If I had U.S. dollars, different question. Mm-hmm. Although I'd probably bring it back, but I may not. I wouldn't. I'm not sending. I'm not sending. Australian dollars over to the US right now. Mm. It's not because I can't justify it. The if the average ends up being seventy five or eighty cents, that's kind of twenty percent higher than now. That's a that's a very 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 big hurdle for a US denominated asset to jump. Mm. At seventy cents, I don't care. At eighty cents, I don't care. Mm. At eighty five cents, I'm probably meaningfully favouring US companies. That that's kind of how I think mm-hmm. about it anyway. Yeah, how about no. you? yeah. I think like I think you paint 
you you paint a, a good picture there. Um, yeah, I don't overthink it, but at the extremes, it starts to it starts to influence it a little bit, and and not in wholesale changes, but just in the increments. So where where I would otherwise be adding or otherwise mm. be reducing, it's just going to yes. bias one over one over the other. I mean, look, the vast 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 bulk of anything I have is in Australia anyway. Mm. I've mm. got a bit. I've got a few ETFs in super and stuff overseas, but you know, the big the biggest chunk of of it is here. So it's. Mm. Um, you know, I'm 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 go Australia, uh, but <laughs> but yeah, no. One point I couldn't help but make this might be a bit cheeky, but it, you're talking there. <laughs> just it just reminded go me on. actually the um, the Aussie dollar used to be pegged pre 1983. It did yes, right? Man, we used to centrally control. Uh, was it, it wasn't pegged though, was it? It was centrally controlled. They're different things. Sorry, I don't think it was. Yes, yeah, just just to be sorry, not not to be not to be painful, but just to, just to be clear. But I think I think what's interesting about it again, not to reopen mm. this can of worms, but it, it's just oh, sort come of on, like, you want to reopen the can of worms. Well, that's all you want to do. Right it's now. such a lovely example that's right in front of me. <laughs> I can't I can't help but pluck yep. it off the tree. Which which mm-hmm. is at the time it was a huge debate. Why would you have it floating for? That's madness. Mm. We've always done this. Why wouldn't we control this? It was very difficult for a lot of people to imagine that there would be any other way and that we just let this thing float and let the free market determine the exchange rate. Fast forward 40 years uh, to today and actually well before today, it's like it's unthinkable that we would have a department of the government setting what the exchange rate is. It's madness. Like no, like you, you, you would, you know, no one would, would, any politician that said that would get right, laughed right, off stage. Right. So again, it's not yep. to have that debate again, but it's just a nice example of how things that we've always done it this way can radically change. And I think we can say with the benefit of 40 years under our belt, it's a pretty good move, right? It's a pretty good move not yep. having a centrally planned exchange rate. That's a good question, actually, mate, because mm. I don't know that we know. And I'm not picking an argument for the sake of it, but even mm. when you say, I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went, actually, I don't know. Oh, you don't think so? Know the, yeah. No, well, I, I, no, it's not that I don't think so. I don't know that I know the answer to that because we don't know the counterfactual, right? Like, oh, I'm, not trying to be, yeah. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be, I just like, did it, has it, has it caused problems? No. Is it better than what a central planned government might have done with the currency? I don't know. I mean, probably because as you and I probably agree, the market tends to get it more right than governments, particularly when it comes right. to financial matters. That's right? exactly so it's pro- it. That's it's, exactly. Pro- it's probably true. It's probably true. But, but I, I just- The counterfactual, went, the counterfactual is yes, if yes. we had really, really, really good policy, <laughs> it would have been better to have, have a, yeah, a, a right. currency that was pegged. But, but that's, that's, right, that's, that's right. a big if though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm not, so I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong. I just, I, I started, I agree, wait till we agree with you. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, hang on. Maybe it's not. I just don't think it's worth. That's worth in itself. Well, I, yeah, hey, mate, it's, um, it's okay. interesting, isn't it? But my, there was it, there was a time when it was all sort of everything was pegged against everything. I mean, that was yes. that was what happened after World well, War Two. You it know, was gold was, at one point, right? Yeah, well, it was gold <laughs> everywhere, and then yeah. and then it was and then yeah. it was everything was set against the mm-hmm. US dollar, which was redeemable for gold, and then that got taken away, and now it's yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's just um, uh, fiat, as it's called, trust. Yeah, yeah. It's yes. Let, let's move on, mate. Uh, speaking, of, speaking of money and the value of money, the uh, now by the time our listeners hear this, I think the whole rich list will be unveiled. The AFR rich list. You and I are old enough to remember the BRW rich list. Did you used to read that, or were you were you too deep in science at the time? I've been a much nerd for years. Uh, I I probably you know 
shook my fist at it when when I thought, <laughs> oh, it sucks. It's a very funny I, um, thing. If I had been yeah. on it, I would have had a very correct, different view correct. of it. Yeah. I've been, a, I've been a nerd for a very long time. I used to get the BR. I was subscribed to the Business Review Weekly magazine. For the kids out there, there was a magazine called Business Review Weekly back in the day. Uh, it didn't sell enough. They shut it down. They kind of rolled the rich list into the AFR. Uh, so owned by the same owned by the same stable. Uh, it's now the AFR rich list. It so I said by the time our listeners hear this, I think the full list is out. As we record it, there was only the top ten. Uh, and let me just read them through, Andrew. Uh, Gina Reinhardt, number one, with thirty seven point four one billion dollars. Speaking of being old enough, I remember when the first Australian richest person got over a billion dollars, and that was amazing hard to imagine mm. Gina now has 37 times that now I'm not that old so I was probably reading it 25 uh, years ago maybe something like that maybe up th- well, okay 30 years ago fine um, that's that's a remarkable return Andrew Forrest 33.3 billion dollars both of their wealths by the way up about 10% year on year Anthony Pratt the guy behind Vizzy or the, the son of the guy uh, who started it, uh, Vizzy 24 billion dollars Harry Trigiboff the property developer, $24 billion. Clive Palmer, everyone's favourite billionaire, or not necessarily, $24 billion, up from $19.5 billion last year. Mike Cannon-Brooks and Woo! Scott Farquhar, the Atlassian guys, $19 yeah, billion. Fi- finally, someone who's done something that's created a bit more value than... <laughs> and, well, and yet, uh, they've, they've lost $8 billion each uh, since last year because the Atlassian share price has fallen. Cannonbrook's $19 billion, Scott Farquhar, $18 billion. Do you reckon, they, do you reckon Mike brags about that? I've got a billion more than you. Uh, <laughs> Ivan Glassenberg, ex-minerals uh, uh, trader. I don't know if he owned business. I think he might have. $13.6 billion, probably the least recognisable name there. Uh, the people behind Canva... Melanie what Perkins, a success story. $13.2 billion. Yeah. And Frank Lowy, uh, who was once the world's, uh, was Australia's richest man, uh, now a paltry $9.3 billion in 10th place. Uh, worth saying, of course, Frank, I don't know how many operating businesses he owns these days, uh, obviously behind the Westfield business. Uh, speaking of Australian success stories, remarkable yeah. uh, there too. So yeah, they're, they're the top 10, mate. You've, you've had some, some boos and some cheers on the way through. What's, what stands out to you from the list? Oh, well, look look where the money is, right? Property and, yeah. and, and rocks. That's what we For Australia? do. No. That, that's what we do, man. You know, so I, I'm really, I'm really, uh. it's great to see like the Canva and um, Atlassian people there. It's like real um, homegrown success stories, created really great technology. It's just, you know, um, dominating their industries. I, I think that's really fantastic. Um a lot of generational wealth that's in there, um, uh, which is interesting. You know, it, it's sort of it's less impressive if I can if I'm if I'm going to be you know slinging mud. Mm. Um, the other I'm thing, gonna, I'm going to I'm for the fun of it. I'm going to say that is a very jaundiced view, Mr. Page. It is a bit. I know. Uh, Atlassian, I know. Atlassian and Canva are worth billions of dollars, and I I'm going to I'm going to say to you, I think at least the minerals and property based fortunes are probably more rooted in fundamental reality than maybe Atlassian and, and Canvas are. Not because they're not necessarily worth this much money, but there's a lot of uh, future value, a lot of future expectation built into some of those numbers. I, I mean, I'm glad to see it. You said, oh, finally people have made some, created some real value. I, I, I love Mike Cannibal. He's, uh, by the way, a neighbor of mine these days. Uh, not, not close enough. I've never met the guy, but he's not far from here. Um, just, just two uh, estates know, ha- down from your estate, is it? <laughs> no, this is this is their townhouse, mate. Don't worry about that. The uh, the country property is a whole different thing. Um, 
but yes, no, they, uh, you know, I, I, I love what they've done. I love what Canvas, I love what the lesson's done. I, just, I guess I just wanted to, just for the sake of making the point that a lot of what we say, the value they've created is kind of so far, it's, you know, share price. <laughs> and look, you know, some companies grow into these share prices, some don't, so we'll see. Uh, it no, may actually right. be right. arguable that others made some more money uh, or uh, value. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm being a bit unfair. It, it is, <laughs> it is um, what would I say? I'm also reminded too, I think we look at these lists first with, you know, um, scorn and and jealousy. Um, But then the the other thing is you notice that when uh, there is so much luck involved of all of the people on this list, are they intelligent, hardworking people? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they are. You know, there's no question about it. Mm, mm. But are they, you know, has Gina Reinhardt got an IQ 50 points above the rest of us? Does she work 40 hours extra a week than the rest of us? Mm, there is. Mm. And this is a story that comes out again and again. Whenever you read um, any sort of business biographies and the rest of it, just that the role of luck plays mm. in, in all of this, you know? Are you, oh, 100%. Dad happened to own an iron ore, you know, tenant when, when China decided to industrialise. Mm. <laughs> Right. Mm. What a great position to sort of be in. Now, did did you, you, you we all play the cards we get dealt, right? And if you get a nice yeah. hand, you're going to play that hand. And and in all of these cases, I think you can sort of say personalities and and whatever you know things aside, they played those hands exceptionally well. Good luck to them. Mm. But it mm. is it is worth a reminder that I, I I kind of think when these levels here, it, it's very arbitrary, right? And it's mm. it, there is a there is a huge element of luck i wish there would be a bit more recognition amongst some of these people for for that role of uh of luck that has played in their lives yeah. um I, I pick up also on something that you said um which is they're they're all funny money numbers really gina mm. can't go to the west westpac branch and say can i withdraw 37 billion yeah. it's yeah. not there exactly. right it's exactly. all it's all in yeah. in uh, assets and securities and, and yeah. the rest of it and that's why these things Pretty can real fluctuate assets, though, so much in those- oh yeah yes. oh, i'm not yeah abs- abs- absolutely right yeah. but yeah. 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 but you will it, you know the extra 3 billion dollars that she has this year yeah. you know what did she do for that it was like well markets and mm-hmm. commodity prices and that's the answer yes, right and, and again i'm not sure she worked very hard over the year and rah rah rah, rah but but <laughs> but it is you know yeah and 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 money makes money right like yeah, if it, you you have a billion dollars and if you can just get mm-hmm. if you can somehow manage a three percent return per year that's you know <laughs> things things compound up very 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 quickly for these these kind of people so you know i'm i'm, I'm trying to avoid not getting into another taxation discussion and billionaire <laughs> bashing because i'm I really i really think people who do create a lot of value and deserve a great deal yep. of their success yep. but but some of these numbers do feel obscene and i and i that perspective does resonate with me to some degree we <laughs> I, we probably should finish the conversation. Uh, we're an hour five in. I, I was I was tempted to uh, invite you to talk about tax. I have one question on tax for you to finish off. Mm-hmm. One 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 question. Um, is it reasonable to tax wealth? I think it's more reason. I- I th- you come, you know what it does? It comes back to the thing as well. Yes, if you do it right, right, and then so okay, then we're, me, we're, we're back. We're back at that. Pro- well, what's right? And that's okay. That's cool. You and I will yeah. have different definitions. Yep. Everyone else will have different definitions. That's, that's why I'm curious. That's why I asked. I'm well, not trying to trick you. I'll answer with the same thing. By the way, I just I'm just curious. I actually I actually like the consumption based idea of taxation. I mean, because again, it is. It's all just a number until you actually want to use it. What's the point of having a billion dollars right. if you can't spend it? Right. It's, there's mm-hmm. no point to have it. 
So when mm. I buy the super yacht, yeah, there's going to be some tax on that. You know, when I buy yeah. my fourth estate uh, in barrel, yep, there's going to be a tax on that. I, I think yep. you can't hide from that as much either. Yep. Like if you either buy something or you don't, I think it's, and yeah, I, I mean, it's something like we spent four hours doing a podcast on taxation <laughs> and, and just end up annoying yeah. 90% of people because <laughs> there's, there's not going to be a much more overlap amongst all of us, but that's the short answer. I, um, I, I really, really dislike tax, yeah, taxing wealth um, up onto maybe there's a 1% kind of, you know, 1% tax on wealth or something. I just have a fundamental issue with forcing people to crystallize an asset into cash to pay a tax. Yeah, that's a bit like that, that's That's my fundamental starting point, right? If you tax a company or a boat or a, a land or a painting or a whatever and say, you owe me million dollars tax on that, so where do I get that money from? Now, maybe those people have incomes that justify whatever tax we want to levy on them. But when you just simply say, I don't care whether you owe nothing this year, you could backpack around Europe uh, and I want a million dollars for the assets you have, you have to sell something to do it. I, I just, I don't, I just, and it's, again, it's my ideology, right? We're talking about with, um, with our views on, on monetary policy. I just, I find that really, really difficult to justify. Yeah. Um, I, I just, it just, on the transaction, for sure, because it generates a cash flow. And then you can absolutely garnish some of that cash flow in taxes. I, I have no problem with that. Um, I don't mind your consumption idea, mate. I, I, don't, I, don't, I do think it's a little bit... I don't love flat taxes either because I think it's reasonable that people who earn more should probably pay more. And, and I don't think things like capital gains or income should, you know, should be a mass tax-free. Because think about... To your very point about Gina's, Gina's consumption, if she spends $1,000 a year but continues to grow that wealth and then sells it to somebody else... And never spends the money. She doesn't pay tax until she eventually spends it. The compounding untaxed, when there's transactions, I think that's worth doing. So I, I'm very, very much in the in the. I think I think we should tax some consumption too. By the way, I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, but I think there is absolutely a place for taxing consumption, and I think there's a plan for. Uh, I think I think I think it's reasonable to to tax transactions of assets as well as as well as consumption that that's what i would do and I, the reason i asked Matt is there's a very big twitter community to talk about land taxes and i just it, it's it's you know and then wealth taxes on top of that and it's one of the things i really struggle with um by the way i think you know inheritances probably should be you know, <laughs> he's going to bring up death taxes an hour and 10 minutes in a conversation <laughs> um, i think we should be talking about that by the way and and that is a transaction as far as i'm concerned because it's a disposal of an asset at death um but those, those things i think are reasonable to tax at that point because you know, the, the asset is being transferred. When it's being transferred, the person has a choice of whether to, to you know, keep or sell that asset. Um, effectively, a transfer of an asset is, I'm selling it, you're buying it. That, that you know, whether it's for cash or not, um, it's, it's a transfer. So I, I think, personally, uh, I'm just more of a fan of, of, of taxing the cash flows uh, rather than a static asset just for its own sake and forcing someone to come up with cash to meet, a, to meet a, an obligation. Yeah, I, I like all of that. It's such a broad topic. You talk about ideology, Sorry, right? Yeah. That's hard. It's very <laughs> yeah. hard. To, to it was, it was a bad thing to bring up later. I was just, I was just, because we finished talking about tax and you talk about the kind of the compound yeah. value of some of this wealth. Some people will be saying, well, someone taxed you know, 10% of her wealth and we'll take the $3 billion and do something with it. Thanks very much. Mm. And I, that was what kind of spurred my, my question along with the other conversations on socials over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, no, I'm not I'm not that hardcore on it all. It, it is just very difficult. Yeah. I always think the best place to start it, I've, um, the the thought experiment is is i'm going to forget who who mentioned this originally but the idea of you get to design the system like the reality is there's just certain things that we 
within this country will collectively need to do together, right? The, you know, yeah. like we we can't rely on a private, we can't rely on Scott Farquhar to to to, to fund <laughs> and build an army to defend us, right? right? There there are some things that like a, a nation. And private armies are their own problem anyway, right? It needs, <laughs> let's, let's, we we need we need stuff. We need the roads and the hospitals, etc., etc., etc. It's got to be yeah. paid for, right? So we've we've got to figure out um, uh, how to do all of that. So whatever does, system you come up with, and everyone listening will have their own sort of views on it. I would, I would say go mm. ahead and design something. But the rule is is that after it's done, you don't get to decide your lot in society. So you get to draw a straw. There'll be a bunch of barrels, yep. bunch of balls in a barrel. You get to pick one out mm. and it'll, it'll say, mm. you know, what strata of society you get to live in. And that's a really interesting setup because you obvi- you, all of a sudden take away your own personal, um, yeah. your, your self-interest. From, from that situation. Because some people will say, well, no, the rich should be able to make as much as they want. It's like, well, that's pretty good, but you might draw a ball. So in fact, statistically, you're very likely uh-huh. to draw a ball where that's, that's not going to benefit you. You, like, you might yeah. sort of say, well, I want to live in a society where we give everyone equal money. And it's just sort of like, mm-hmm. yeah, you want to be careful what you wish for there as well because what does that society mm-hmm. sort of look like? There's a very interesting way of trying to get all of those things correct. And, yeah. and a lot of very smart people for a very long amount of time have thought very deeply about all of this. So we're not mm-hmm. going to do it any mm-hmm. justice here but it's it's i just i love i love that setup it's it's a good one too mate because it really requires you to think not you anyone to think pragmatically rather than ideologically either based on what do i wish the world was like or i know where i sit in the world so i'm going to do a certain way you know you said a million times and i agree with you communism is the perfect system except that it just doesn't work Mm -hmm. yeah and so it's like ideologically would i like everyone to have everything to your, your very point yes would that work no Okay, so then we need to find something that works. Equally, I have a lot of money. I would like to keep that lot of money. Please please don't tax me. Tax the other bastards or I don't care about their standard of living. Mm. Again, it's all about who you are rather than, rather than a society. And that's why I like, the, I like the kind of, you know, both your, your lottery idea or just the idea of, you know, design system first. Or just if you came from space with no, with absolutely zero, uh, uh, if you were genuinely benevolent, had no, no uh, dog in the fight and just said, hey, Here's the system they've created. You have to design a system that frankly works pragmatically. So you can't just say, in my perfect world, well, I come from space, everyone loves each other and they, everyone gets the same and everyone works really nicely together and it's all fine. It's like, no, no, you have to deal with the people you're, you, you're, who you're you know, the new benevolent dictator of, knowing who they are and how they work. What system would you create to give, you, give them all a good range of outcomes? And it's, it's a really, really difficult one. Yep. Another framing I would put out there just for consideration would be mm. you've got to remember... I mean, these, these, the numbers are arbitrary, like wealth is relative is what I'm saying. So if Gina Reinhardt was at, uh, you know, a third of, you know, she only had $13 billion and her lifestyle is Mm -hmm. unchanged. I mean, she couldn't spend it if she tried, like it's, it's absolutely, it's pointless. So, so Mm -hmm. I I kind of think you do get to a point where I I think you can have your cake and eat it too. I think those who take risks, those who work hard and yes, those that have a little bit of luck as well uh, should be rewarded for their success. But it comes to a point where the reward is just actually doesn't. It, all you're doing now is just is is um, accruing all this value that is absolutely mm. worthless to you, but could have an extraordinary value <laughs> elsewhere That's uh, so true, in, in society. And so it's sort of like it's not it's not about let's tax the rich, but let's just sort of say let's make sure that those who mm. who deserve reward get that reward. But after a point, it's mm. kind of just it's just ego, right? And and for yeah. the for the yeah. for the good of society, I would be very happy. In fact, back in the I want to say the. 30s maybe it was a little bit earlier 
Mm. Yeah, maybe it was. I'm, I'm forgetting my history now. But the US used to like tax the highest earners at like 70, 80 percent of their oh, income. Some, yeah, some of the old tax rates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and 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 you know, can you imagine that today? Now the reality was that those people were still extraordinarily rich and had everything that they would want or desire in life. And that's kind of great. Mm. That's the re- that's the reward, right? That's the reward that you get for whether it's deserved or not for for whatever whatever that you've done. So I, I think you can. I think you can basically say. Um, at a point, those rates go up uh, very, very high because it makes no difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to the rest of us. Yeah, correct. I think that's that's the important point, I think, when it comes to designing a system. Now, neither you nor I are going to be treasurer anytime soon or benevolent dictator of the world. We'll have to deal with the, uh, the cards we get, but hopefully the conversations are useful. Mate, um, I've very much enjoyed our, uh, our conversation today, a bit of intellectual sparring, a bit of intellectual agreement as well. Hopefully our listeners have enjoyed it as well. Yeah. Uh, I will double check tomorrow when the rich list comes out to make sure you're not, maybe a little bit further down, maybe not the top 10, maybe you know 15th, 18th or something like that. <laughs> um, but assuming, assuming you don't all of a sudden realize you're a billionaire and you jet off to the Maldives somewhere, will you join me on Sunday? You know, I, uh, I will, but I have to say, if ever I found myself with billions of dollars, I, I don't honestly think I, I'd be the power boat mega yacht Maldives kind of <laughs> what would you what would, what's what's the Andrew Page li- billionaire life of luxury look like uh, I mean obviously I think you'd, you'd like a, a few creature comforts but I'm not really into my cars I, I just I, okay. I, you know, for me for me wealth has always been a measure of freedom you know if, if, if you can wake up in the morning and decide what you want to do and, and there's no constraints on that. You're the richest person in the world as far as I'm concerned. So I, I basically, if I had a level that I could do that, and you really don't need much. Frankly, if you gave me $10 million today, I think I would live the life of my dreams. I, I would never want for anything yeah. and I'd be perfectly happy. And I don't know, maybe maybe this, look, if I ever make it into the top 10 list, maybe you can hold me to account for this one. I'd, I'd be very tempted to do what Buffett does, right? Which is just yeah. saying 99% of it's just going to charity. Yeah. I uh, I have a vision of you, Andrew, knowing your love of all things um, sci-fi, perhaps is the best way to put it. I can imagine you with a Dr. Evil-style lair on the moon with your billions of dollars. Oh, that, you you charge an Elon Musk rocket. Yeah. You, you've got a lair on the moon with a, with a laser. <laughs> uh, oh, that or you're in a volcano. So <laughs> I, I, well, we shall see. I will hold you to it, as you say, when you're in the top 10. Otherwise, I will see you on Sunday. See you then. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691.